Would you stand with me? I'm reading from Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 12. The picture here is that uh, Paul was talking about the promises that were given to Israel, through Ab- to Abraham and to uh, Israel, and that uh, through Christ, the rest of the world, the Gentiles, uh, there's two categories of people in the world in, in one, one distinction, and that is you're a Jew or you're a Gentile. And uh, if you're not a Jew here this morning, then you join me as a Gentile. Um, but what happened in Christ is he joined the Jews and the Gentiles. So I give you some context to what I'm reading. In verse 12, it says, Remember that you, as Gentiles, were at that time separated from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing his flesh, in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments, contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two, the Jew and the Gentile, into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross, by it having put to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have our access into one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. Pray with me, please. Father, I want to thank you for what you've done for us and your son Jesus. I thank you, Jesus, for your willingness to offer yourself and your life and come and live among us and endure what you endured for us. What a demonstration of love. And there's no question you leave in our minds of how much you love us, how much you pursue us, what what we mean to you. Lord, we're just grateful for this morning, for the promises in your word, for what we'll, we'll be looking at today. And I just ask, Lord, that you would prompt in each of our hearts the message that each one of us needs. You know us, Lord. I just pray that you would meet with us. We're coming. Uh, we're coming to you now, Lord, and ask, Lord, speak to us. Speak to me. We open ourselves to you today, Lord. May we draw close to you. And we thank you for that privilege in Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. Uh, God speaks with a lot of uh, word pictures in the scriptures, metaphors, uh, analogies. But um, there are three metaphors of the church uh, that uh, we find that are addressed in in Ephesians particularly. But uh, among the metaphors that are listed there is that we are the body of Christ. Uh, Short story on this, as each one of us comes to faith in Christ, we're gifted by the Holy Spirit and dwelt by the Holy Spirit, and we have something to contribute to the rest of the body, like my little finger. Uh, It can do some things that my whole hand can't do, and this little finger's a part of my body, it's an essential part of my body, and I would be handicapped without it. And that's how God describes us as a group of believers. Together, we are the body of Christ, all essential to one another, essential to the body. So it's a, it's a word picture to help us understand the relationship we have with each other and the relationship we have with God. Another metaphor that we find is that, um, that we are the temple of God. 
and that each of us as believers are living stones in this temple that's being built up to God. And that, that helps us with the picture to understand that, that we don't stand alone or apart. Uh, a finger is apart from the foot, but, but, a, but a brick, a living stone in a building is, is nothing without the, everybody else around it. And so there's that word picture to us of what is being, what's happening with us as a body of believers, as a group of believers, as a temple being built up, that God is using all of us in building something up, making something beautiful, he calls the church. And the third um, metaphor we're looking at, we read about this morning, and that's the household of God. Through the, through the sacrifice of Jesus and our faith in him, he grants us the privilege of being his children. In John chapter 1, uh, we find the verses there, verse 12 and 13. Uh, prior to this, it says that uh, Jesus came into his own people, but his own people received him not. But it says, but as many as received them, to them he gave the right to be called the children of God or become the children of God. And we got it there, that are born not of blood, nor the will of the or the will of man, but born of God. It's a spiritual birth. Uh, three chapters uh, back into John, uh, Jesus has a conversation with Nicodemus. And in that conversation, he says, uh, Marvel not, uh, Nick, that I say to you, you must be born again. And, and all Nicodemus could understand was being physically born a second time. And that didn't make any sense to him at all. And then Jesus said, you don't get it, Nick. It's a spiritual birth. It's something that happens in you through faith in Christ. And so we have this picture that when we come in faith and place our faith and trust in Christ and what he did for us on the cross, we have the right to be called his children. And as his children, we are brothers and sisters to one another. We are family. And that is a word picture that helps us understand how we relate to each other. Now, I'm not so, I'm not so sure that God made a good choice in that one. I, I think it, the, the worst of tensions happen in family than any place. We know each other. We, we, have, you know, we feel like we're safe in just being nasty to one another because what are you going to do, move out? Well, in some cases that happens. But you, you understand what I'm saying. In family, those are the tightest relationships we have in human experience. And that's a picture that God's given to us and how we relate together as believers, as his household, as his family. And we're members of his family through faith in Jesus. And that's where I come back to verse 19, that we, uh, the last verse that we just read in that. So you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. Now, some of you have been around here a long time. Carla and I have um, had the privilege of being a part of this church for a long time. I just can't even remember numbers anymore. I do remember one. It was 72, whatever you can calculate. But uh, summer of 72, we first showed up here. I think the church had been open a couple years at that point. The building had been, been being in use. But uh, this is family to us. You know, our... Uh, our blood family are in Washington State, and I got a sister and family that are down south in San Diego. But uh, uh, this group of people, you, have been our family, and uh, had a deep sense and gratitude that uh, uh, we can be your family, you can be our family. And uh, but as such, we have a relationship that's unique that God wants us to understand. Um, I'm going to come back to these thoughts in a minute. 
but I want to give you a context for some thinking that may be new. Uh, I don't think there's going to be anything particularly new today to you. You've probably heard most of what I'm going to say before. Um, unless this happens to be church is new to you or the Bible's new to you, then, then you know, listen up. Well, you can all listen up. I'd be okay. But um, uh, uh, four of us just returned from Vietnam uh, last week. Uh, we were there for um, uh, uh, 11 days. There was... Um, uh, you got Steve Manthorn and Jim Brancucci, Bud Gilbertson, and myself, and uh, Pastor Ba. Uh, pastor Ba is the pastor of a house church in um, just outside of uh, Saigon or Ho Chi Minh City. We're there at what they call the Unification Center, the palace. That was the U.S. headquarters for a time. And, um, but now they call it the Unification Center. It's where the North and South were unified uh, uh, under a different flag than what we uh, would have preferred. But... Um, we started there in, uh, in Ho Chi Minh, or everybody there calls it Saigon. Uh, the city was named Ho Chi Minh City by uh, Hanoi, and few people in the city go by that name. Uh, but um, there's the diversity there of a busy, a busy city with thousands of uh, motorcycles, motorbikes, in every block. Uh, that is not an exaggeration picture there. I, I think you can probably make out that there's uh, at least a couple hundred within view of where we are. But, and they zip in and out of all the traffic, you know, the buses, the trucks, the cars. I don't know how they do it. On one occasion, I rode on the back of a motorbike through this. Uh, all I could do is close my eyes and say, Lord Jesus, my life is in your hands. As I feel a car brushing my pant leg on my one side, and I'm going, going oh, Lord, I don't... But it was great. Now... <laughs> But uh, just that mix of cities. And then from the cities, you go not very far out, and you go out and you see the rest of the countryside, and it's all rice fields, uh, except you can get up into the mountains. We didn't get to that. But every place else we went, if it wasn't a city, uh, there were just rice fields, and it just you felt like you were step back centuries. Um, but it was a pretty exciting time. But it was there in Vietnam that we experienced something of the household of God uh, in a new way, in a unique way. Uh, a country that uh, we had been enemies, um, and I suppose in some ways still are in the minds of uh, many, and even the politics of Vietnam would consider us um, uh, at a distance. But we experienced something of the household of God, those who were believers in Christ, and we were welcome and embraced and um, warmly felt a part of the household of God uh, there in Vietnam. And, uh, our connection, first of all, came through a Vietnamese pastor in Westminster. Um, I went to a, uh, a building dedication service. My granddaughter was uh, playing in the orchestra that was at the dedication and discovered it was a Vietnamese Anglo church. And um, we were three weeks before we were headed to Vietnam, and uh, we had our tickets, and something was going to happen when we got there. We didn't know. And, um, and that was all exciting on this end until we got there. And uh, our visas weren't any good, and they tell us we couldn't enter the country. But um, it just uh, somebody forgot to sign the visa, uh, so we had to buy another visa there. Maybe that was planned. But the, uh, uh, we, had a, we had a great time in, uh, in our travel there, but uh, Pastor Tran... Uh, of the church here in Westminster. I went up and I introduced myself to him, so I'm going to be in Vietnam in a, in a few weeks. Uh, do you happen to know anybody there or any connections that uh, 
someone who might be available to travel with us will take care of their expenses, but could be a guide and translator for us as we'll be in the country for nine days. And, um, and he says, oh, I'm sure we can. And uh, two, week, or two days later, I get an email of a picture of a young man, 28 years old, uh, Tung, uh, and, uh, and that he was available to, to travel around with us. We don't know him. We don't know anything more about this other than a pastor in, in Westminster uh, connected and set us up. And, um, well, that was just uh, part of the first connect. Well, Tung traveled with us the entire time we were in Vietnam. Uh, Tung is, uh, is 28. Um, if you happen to be in, uh, in corporation, uh, U.S. corporations of business and dealing with uh, microchips and wafers, you may be talking to Tung on the telephone. Uh, his job is to be a support to people using microchips and, and service. And so he works during the night when it's daytime here. And he's on the phone or on the Internet and, and does his work. So he was with us during the day, and at night he was up most of the time doing his work so he could continue. He's been married seven months, his wife Lynn. Um, uh, it was, uh, I had another picture of her with a helmet and a mask on her face, but I figured that probably wouldn't help you at all. So I picked this one out of a dinner picture we had. But uh, they've been married seven months, and I said, is this okay with Lynn to have you gone all these days traveling with us? She said, oh, no, that's okay. That's okay. She's in school. She can get her work done now. It's, <laughs> she was all excited. About it. I've, I've heard Carla say things like that. But, uh, the, uh, but uh, Tung and uh, Lynn, but uh, Tung was our, our partner and uh, our lifesaver uh, many times on our trip and is a dear brother in Christ, uh, knows the book as any well as any of us here, uh, has learned well, uh, his heart and life is committed to the Lord, he's not sure you know, where all that may lead him, but he's doing something now that's providing some income for him, and, um, but uh, he was good for us in our time. We'd have been in a whole lot more trouble if we had not had Tung. But we felt what it meant to be a part of the household of God with his involvement in our life, his presence with us, uh, praying with us, traveling with us, translating for us, and helping us there. On the Sunday morning we were there, we went to the church where Tung and his family go. It's a house church. It's about 30 people. And we were there that Sunday morning and... um, and, and what often happens in, in situations like this, if they know you're a pastor, they want you to speak. And uh, they asked if I'd speak. And I found out this was on Palm Sunday. And on the following Friday, Good, uh, uh, good Friday, they were going to do an outreach into their neighborhood. Um, and so I said, how if I spoke about what it means to be salt and light? And you've heard that from me before. And they said, oh, that would be great. So I started out and gave a little bit of message about salt and light. And then uh, I had each of the guys, uh, Steve and then Bud and Jim, share a situation in which they uh, were able to be uh, salt, light, and influence, plant seeds of faith in other people's lives. It was just a great time for all of us that Sunday morning and sharing with the believers there. Uh, And we felt the oneness with them uh, in that time. That afternoon, I met with Pastor Shin, and, uh, and uh, four of his um, fellow pastors, uh, they are all uh, oversee house churches throughout the south of Vietnam, uh, 380-some house churches, most of them in the rural areas. They number all together somewhere around 15,000 people who gather, but they, um, Pastor Shin, who's in the red shirt, 
uh, is the only one with any formal education. Uh, the others have the Bible, which is a good deal, and they open it and read it and ask questions about it. Uh, good thing for all of us to do. But um, they're looking for people to come and help train them. He said, give them two weeks' notice, and I'll gather the pastors. And, uh, but uh, we had a great time with them, spent a lot of our time uh, doing, talking about strategy, uh, how to... You know what they might do to grow a church, what other people are doing in the world that are that are helping to spread the gospel to places. And we had a map of Vietnam out, and they were busy circling all the places that they were. And as they started to look at all the circles on the map, they got more excited and more excited because they just hadn't had that perspective in their mind that God was doing so much through them. Um, that was pretty pretty exciting time for me. Um, then we met uh, also a man. Uh, now the guys will probably correct me on this. Uh, the, the, the spelling is P-H-U-C, and it's FOP. Is that close? FOP. You've got to puff your cheeks. FOP. But anyway, FOP is the, um, the Vietnamese director of a movie that's being produced with Steve Cadd of Sword Ministries. And we've all met uh, Steve and Mayan here, and we're part of their support team, and they're produ- making movies uh, around primarily Southeast Asia, but uh, they're in the process of producing a movie there in, uh, in Vietnam. And we had dinner together with him and had a good time talking. It was just an exciting time. He is um, uh, a producer of Vietnam National Television, uh, and he's a believer in Christ. He has his Master's of Theology, and he is producing a webcast in Vietnamese to introduce the person of Jesus to his country. Uh, just among the things that are in his heart. All these people I'm telling you about, we're brothers and sisters too. We're of the household of faith, the household of God. Well, that same night uh, we, came, we arrived in Vietnam, we connected with Clive Cragen and a group from Moody Bible Institute who were there doing English classes. Uh, Clive is the one standing behind the, the young lady in blue, that's Clive Cragen, and just to his right, on the far right side, there is Pastor Lowe uh, from the city of Vinlong, who connected us with an English class that uh, we were able to participate in um, uh, just the next night. And this is Bud with his students teaching them English, and so you've heard Bud speak, so you get an idea of what they're going to be talking like, you know. <laughs> But uh, each of us, you know, Steve and Jim and Bud and I each had f- a class of our own for four hours and uh, two, two hour sections. And, uh, uh, but we had a great time talking about our lives and sharing a bit about our faith and asking, answering questions, asking questions, gave them some opportunity to practice their English. But the director of the school has invited us back uh, anytime. Uh, give us a day notice and we'll get you into a class. Uh, next time, come for three days. And so if we want to send teams of people or something to just speak English, uh, you'd have an opportunity to plant seeds of faith in that, in that context. But uh, they all love Bud. This is good. And then uh, I was going to say that the next, uh, that, uh, next day we met, uh, or I guess the day before, we met Hian, who is a school teacher uh, at this English school. And this is Hian and her father, uh, he is in her late 20s and, uh, and single, and as such, she's not allowed to meet with men without her father. Um, it's kind of unique in the household of faith. But, um, so we had uh, lunch together there, and then we got together in the evening. Um, he and his one that Jay Bell met um, about five years ago. Uh, he was in the English school, and uh, 
and uh, he was sharing some of his faith. And, and that evening, he and, and her father uh, told Jay they wanted to get together and, and talk. They were ready to listen. And Jay didn't catch it. Would he listen what? Want me to speak more English? Do you want, you know? And it finally got the picture that, that she was ready to hear more about his faith and about Jesus. And so he talked about uh, the designer, a design and a designer. And he said, uh, we have a watch and you have a watchmaker. There's a, a motorbike right out here and you have a motorbike maker. And he went and pulled a leaf off the tree and put it on the table. And her response was, uh-oh. <laughs> she got the picture. There's a leaf. Who's the designer? And uh, since that time, she has come to embrace the idea, the thought in her mind that there is a designer, a creator. And um, just last year, she went through the Gospel of John with Clive when he was there on two occasions with some teams. And um, I got the privilege uh, while I was there to answer her question, you celebrate Easter, what is Easter? And I got to tell her the story and the cross and walk her through all of that. She's not going to make a decision without Dad. That's the process, but I also know that she'll go home and has already gone home and told Dad everything that I shared with her. And uh, that's just pretty exciting times and exchanged emails since. But those are just some of the the household of faith that we met in Vietnam and some of the the people that we met. Um, We have uh, uh, just one thing, I'll just show you this. The next day... um, uh, the last day that we were there, we spent a morning on the Mekong River uh, paddling around in sandpans, and uh, that was kind of fun. Uh, they were there and uh, all along the, the canals uh, along the river in this kind of a network of island. Uh, their kids were there swimming, and um, uh, we just had a great time. And from Vin Long and the river there, we, um, yeah, there you got the kids. Uh, we traveled north to Da Nang and then south to Chu Lai a couple hours. And this is where Bud and Jim served in the Marine Corps during the war, uh, 40-some years prior. And um, they made one observation. The terrain looks much the same uh, as it did then, at least uh, down in the valley part, flat plains with rice fields and brush. Um, We were having a little trouble trying to find the camp where, where Bud, he was trying to remember back 40 years as a teenager, you know, there, where, where was he? Just remember, it was on a, on a hill, and it was at the mouth of a river. And so we found this mouth of the river, and uh, we found a village. And as we're going through the village, uh, Tung, our, our buddy who traveled with us, asked some of the people if they knew where the marine base was during the war. And, and one lady said, no, but I know a man who does. And uh, <clears throat> uh, so Tung introduced him to this 84-year-old man uh, who remembered, was there during the war and remembered where the Marines were located on the top of the hill. And as we walked a little bit further uh, toward where we thought we might be able to get up to the hill, we ran into this other man. I was on the side here and they had conversation. And he said, uh, uh, oh, I was here during the war. And uh, I used to take uh, food up to the, the Marines from the village. And uh, Bud remembered that there was a kid that used to bring food up to the, to the camp. And I guess, but this guy's 54 years old now. But, uh, and he pointed out specifically where the camp was. And then we had a couple young guys uh, show us where the trail was. And we trudged our way up through all the vegetation. And uh, trying to find out, this was all bare, Bud remembered from there. But it's all overgrown now. And we found our way up the hill to the top. And at the top... Uh, it was fun watching uh, Bud just look out and scan and ponder everything that uh, he was back in the setting where his camp was and 
where he served. We were looking for the place where Jim served, and, and uh, we drove down on the road, and we found the entrance to the camp, the, uh, the, uh, the air base. And this is the air base that both Jim and Bud's units uh, protected. And uh, across the street was where Jim's camp was, but that's now a Vietnamese army base and off limits. So we couldn't go in and trudge around there like we did with Bud, but we did find a bridge that, uh, that Jim's team built. Steel bridge, uh, Marine Corps built, and uh, still standing there 40-some years later. But uh, i just give you a little feel of some of the things that uh, we did and experienced while we were there. And back at the hotel there in Da Nang, uh, you might guess Jim was invited into the kitchen. <laughs> we were expressing our dismay with having rice and noodles every meal for eight days. And uh, I said, well, go in the kitchen and make something. And so uh, he made us fried egg cheese sandwiches with no fish oil. Oh, that was so good. But anyway, now I have said a lot of things to you to tell our stories. And you can say, was this a travel log this morning, Ed? Uh, yes. Um, but there's something I observed in all this context. Um, I've been taking some classes by extension and online on uh, multicultural uh, ministry, multicultural ministry, cross-cultural context. And um, I'd already had some savvy as to the distinction between American culture and Asian culture, and there's some pretty vast differences uh, the, the, obviously, their generalization is not true of everybody, but um, we experienced a whole lot of those differences. And I said, how do you as a family of believers get along with the kind of differences that exist in our cultures? And uh, uh, I was in a class this last week, uh, actually in class, and uh, we were talking about the cross-cultural context in other fields, and I said, you know... I pastored at a church for 20 years, and it doesn't feel any different than what we're talking about here. We're about as different a people as anybody can get. It's like we all come from different cultures, and I can identify the cultures, you know, uh, how people think, how they do things, how they accomplish a task, how they plan or don't plan, uh, all the kinds of cultural differences that exist between America and Asia exist in us as Caucasians. How do we function as the household of God with the kind of differences that exist among us? So I asked the question, how does a household function? And a couple of things I observed. One, it lives and acts together. Kind of hard to be a family and function as a family if you don't live under the same roof and house and, and act together, function together. Uh, you yield to one another. Uh, in a household in which um, one person gets their way in everything, it's a household, I can tell you, that's dysfunctional. I can tell you that it's a household that's full of uh, anger and pain uh, and hurt, and there's no peace there. I can tell you that. Um, it's a household that honors one another, that respects one another and the differences of one another. Um, I, yeah, I better keep going. I have so many stories to tell you. Sometime asked me about the uh, taxi cab driver that added 100 kilometers to our meter and what the hotel manager did. Asked me sometime. Uh, another thing that a household that functions together, it cares for one another. Um, and I'll give you this quick story. Toon, uh, the young man who traveled with us, um, 
makes $5,000 a year doing his job as a uh, uh, support personnel to microchip uh, use. Of that $5,000 a year, he takes two-thirds of it, $3,500 or something like that, and gives it to his mother and father. His father, uh, through illness, lost his eyesight. He's blind. He has no way to make an income. Mom, in their, in their age, has no way to make an income. So Tung supports his mom and dad at $3,500 a year, leaving him $1,500 to live on with his wife. Now, to support Tung and Lin, Lin's mom and dad invited them to live in their house, in a house in the back, and they can stay there at no cost, and we'll provide food for you. So, you know, is that a household that cares for one another? And I'm going, you know, we'd find a place to put mom and dad. You know, I just, I just obviously just, I said, how in the world, what can we learn from our dear brothers and sisters, families of the household? What can we learn from them about what it means to care for a household? Well, it's also a, a household that functions together, engages its world. It doesn't live apart from its neighbors or the world it lives in. And I know that uh, we don't know about this near as well as our brothers in Vietnam do. And I'd like you to think with me about our history. Uh, Vietnam, South Vietnam, North Vietnam were invited in by South Vietnam to uh, stop the North Vietnamese from coming down. It wasn't so much the North Vietnamese, but communism that they wanted to stop. And, and so we got engaged in the war and we were involved in the war. And you know the outcomes of all of that. But uh, the bottom one outline is that uh, the Vietnamese people, in one sense, got what they wanted. They were a united country again without, without foreign domination. Uh, the French dominating for 100 years. But it's communism. And in their mind, that was better than the French. But uh, it's just strange how they resolve what is there now. Um, there were comments made by some people. Our guys heard, you know, why did you desert us? You know, there are a lot of things that were tension times that were, were struggles uh, for us in our time there. But uh, um, two things, just to show you. We were at the bus stop. This is the bus stop uh, in, in Vinh Long, two hours south of uh, Saigon. And, um, and we had to wait for the van to come, and it was going to take us to the hotel we were staying in. And the two guys uh, out by the gate, you see them right over the, the back of the lady in the bicycle there? Um, Jim went out there, and I don't know, did you go out there to check about renting a bike or something, or just out to talk with him? Anyway, just out there, went around and, and started talking with him, and they spoke English, discovered that they were both Viet Cong. And I said, what's this U.S. Marine going to do here? I mean, I didn't know this till afterwards, and I'm going... They were both standing when Jim walked away. They, they waved. I'm going, how can this be? Something happened here. And uh, Jim, in his sharing time at the church, made the statement. He said, uh, uh, said, I came as a teenager without God, and I've come back now as a believer in Christ, you know, as I'm a believer. And I see through God's eyes and not man's eyes. And uh, that, was, that was a cool comment, Jim. But, um, and then... That first night we got back from Vin Long, uh, we had dinner with Pastor Lowe. And uh, here's Pastor Lowe and, uh, with Jim and Bud. And before dinner, I was in the lobby with, with Lowe. He speaks English very well. Um, and uh, he said, where are you going from here? And I said, Da Nang. 
He said, what are you going to do there? And he said, well, we're going to go south to Chulai, where our guy served in the, in the Marine Corps during the war. And he says, I was born in Chulai. I said, really, when? He said, 1960. I said, then, then you were six or seven when, uh, when our guys were there. And he said, uh, I was there then. And I said, what was that like? And he said, not good. He said, um, a Marine killed my uncle because he couldn't speak English and prove that he wasn't VC. And I'm thinking, we're going to have dinner together. And I told the guys what Lo had told me before we went to dinner. I just said, I don't know if it'll come up in conversation. I don't know what it'll be with this. But he, Lo was obviously still bore some, some feelings about that. And um, so everybody knew going into dinner and conversation at dinner was just really cordial, very open, and talked about the times there. And, and um, in the whole course of that time of dialogue, there was healing that I observed uh, that came to Lowe. And uh, I think in, in an openness and a new openness in Jim and Bud's heart, just in that dialogue and conversation, but with a brother in Christ. What can happen in war? What can happen in the ugly things that we say to one another in the household, at home? And what can the love of God do in our hearts if we let him? You know, Bud and Jim went back with a new heart, with the heart of God and with eyes that can see as God and with, with love in their mind. And Steve, traveling with us, he wasn't in Nam, but was in the service at that same time. And had pretty strong feelings about a lot of the stuff that was going on uh, with us there. And all of us had to process all of this together. But I said, the love of God can make a difference in our hearts and lives. And that's only possible when we live our life with a love that looks something like uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, But with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interests of others. That's how the household of God can function together. Now, I don't know, how do you apply that? Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. You know, if my spouse just wasn't so big and arrogant and self-centered and focused, I could live like that. Did you hear it? Did it make any difference to you? Well, what happened if I would act like that? Rather than sit here and lay a condition on my spouse or my kids or my parents. And I just began to function from a perspective of I am choosing because of God's love and his grace and his mercy in my life, I'm choosing to look out for your interests over my own. To regard you as more important than what I want. I set aside my rights, and I find that's really difficult for us in our individualistic society, our culture, where I am the most important that my perception is right and accurate always. And I'm right in my own eyes and maybe somebody else's. 
I'm right about what's right and wrong. And if you don't agree with me, you don't understand. But if I disagree with you, can you show some interest in understanding where I'm coming from? Can you be gracious to me and ask me some questions about it? And maybe lead me in my thinking by the questions that you ask. And maybe even be open to hear that maybe there's something I've missed in my growing up and my perspective about life, about God, how I relate. Can I be gracious to my brothers and my sisters or to my family members that I set aside myself and all that conceit and with humility of mind regard somebody else as more important than me? I got nothing to defend. See, when we walk in Christ, we've been crucified with him on the cross. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in us if we allow him. But it's a choice we make. People in Vietnam have been through some really horrendous things, and they still are. Our guys don't know this, but I got an email from Pastor Chin. Tung translated it. Sent, sent it on, forwarded it on to me. Uh, got it Sunday morning, Easter Sunday morning, before I flew to Indiana. Said the local police in all of their house churches around the country um, arrested the pastor and, and, and forbid them to have an Easter service and held them in custody through Sunday. That's new. Because up till now, for the last three years, the door's been open more and more and more. But this just happened to him. And they have to live with that. And they have to live in relationship with the government. And the, how do you guard your heart from bitterness to the government or, or to somebody else or to the things that are happening or the difficulty? Or, um, uh, you know, we're human beings. The only way we can live in relationship with one another is if we embrace these principles that Jesus taught. And I think a good number of you probably know what the next verse says in verse 5. Let this attitude or this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Though he was equal with God in the Godhead, did not consider it something to be grasped and held on to, but he emptied himself and took on the form of a human being of his own creation and lived out his life in humility and submission and obedience, even obedience unto the death on the cross. Let this mind and attitude be in you and me that was in Christ. Can I be Christ to you? Can I offer grace and mercy to you? Can I, believe, can I believe you for who you can be and what God wants you to be and is it process of creating in you? Can I believe you for what you're becoming and not what you are now and your ugliness? Can I, can I extend myself in showing interest in you and regard you as more important than me? that who you're becoming in Christ is more important to me than what I'm experiencing or suffering or enduring from my perspective. See, I learned something about grace and mercy and gentleness in our time in Vietnam. But I've also observed the things I'm talking about among us as a body. And it comes and goes. We're human. I think that's why Jesus said, deny yourself and take up your cross daily. Somehow we have to hang it up and die daily because somehow we crawl down off. Uh, present your bodies a living sacrifice. 
I'm alive, but I'm dead. I'm alive, but I'm not living it. Or as Paul said, the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I live, it's Christ who lives in me now. That sounds arrogant, as I said it out loud right now. I don't look like Christ very much, but I want to. That's the standard by which I judge my behavior and my responses and my attitude. And when we live like this, we will live as the household of God. And the world will know that we are because of what they see in us and they know that something's different about us that only God can get the credit for. I had a whole bunch more, but I'm done because I'm going to let you out. I think you can't handle any more than what I just said. I, I, at least as I try to bear what I just said, I'm going to have a lot of work to do when I go home. And... Um, Pray with me. Father, I want to thank you for uh, just your grace and your mercy in our lives. I thank you for regarding us as your children, uh, as, as brothers and sisters to each other, as, as your sons and daughters. I thank you for all that you're teaching us in your word about uh, how we're to live together and, and be family that honors you and acknowledges you and, and represents you in this world. And I'd ask, Lord, that you'd help us to apply this simple truth in our life today. To set ourselves aside, to regard others as more important than ourselves, to be interested in what others are thinking and doing and feeling and saying and not just our own. Help us, Lord, to practice that and to live that out this week. We yield ourselves to you in your spirit. Move in us, Lord. We come in Jesus. Amen.